Love Yourself from the sermon series Love Me, Love Me Not, spoken by Pastor Peter on. All right, well, hey, good afternoon, Metro. I'll say it again. Come on, you guys do better than that. Good afternoon, Metro. Afternoon. It's great to have you here. Hey, I just want you to know something. Um, having two daughters who are Asian American, uh, it's a tough time. I know there are women in our church that are actually afraid to go out now into the streets and uh, to go to work in Manhattan because of hearing these stories of innocent Asian women, uh, lives being taken, being brutally slaughtered. And, uh, and it's a sad reality. And we have to always remember, because that is, again, a justice issue again. Whenever somebody looks at somebody's life and they don't think it's as important as others, there is a justice issue there. But I say this only because during uh, Black History Month, it's really important as we celebrate our fellow African-American brothers and sisters here in our church, but also in our country, to be reminded that it is through the blood, sweat, and tears of our, of our African-American brothers and sisters in the past that have opened the door for us as ethnic people to actually have a chance and for us to raise our voices when there's injustice. And that's why we celebrate Black History Month. And the Buy Black Challenge is more than just, hey, let's just support black businesses. But it's, again, to understand, to affirm, and to stand by the sides of our black brothers and sisters and thanking them for their sacrifices and that we, too, now can join together and we fight the continual cause of justice and social justice here in our church, but more importantly, continue to fight for it in our country. And so this is why we do this. And I'm so glad that Doug came up and shared a little bit about it. But it's really something that as we continue to talk to some people in our church, that they're really struggling with what's been happening and, uh, and, uh, and seeing things on, on, uh, on the news has been really a frightening thing for a lot of people, particularly our Asian American women uh, in our church. And we see you and we hear you and we will do continuously whatever we can to continue to support and pray for you. The other thing I want to do, and I hope I don't embarrass her, but I don't know who that sister was who was dancing up here, but thank you for doing that. Uh, you know, uh, you probably need to talk to Una who leads our dance ministry. Uh, but, uh, you know, part of this is that, you know, we can worship God with our mouth. But some of you, you do it much better with your body. And uh, I'm not like that, so don't be offended. But, some, but I just love the spontaneity and, the, and just this is a place where when we come, we can worship God in spirit and in truth. And if you want to worship God with your mouth, go for it. If you want to worship him with your body, go for it. We're here. The altar is always here. You can always come and dance, sing, whatever you like. This is a place where we can do that here at this church. So thank you for kind of coming and so spontaneously coming and dancing. And uh, you got some moves, sister. You got some moves for sure. You got some moves. Um, anyway, uh, so we started this series a couple weeks ago called Love Me, Love Me Not. And this series is specifically geared towards talking about ways or different aspects of our life where we can encounter and give love to other people. And it's an important series because I don't know if you know this, but we are created to love. We were created to also receive love. And so for a lot of us, if we're not experiencing love nor being able to give it to other people, it really messes us up and causes all sorts of issues that often hurts us and other people in the process. And so the series is important for us to kind of unpack some of this and to talk about it. Today, I want to talk to you about how can we love ourselves? Let me ask you a question. Do you love yourself well today? Do you love yourself well today? I think for some of us, we get sometimes a visceral reaction when we hear that. Because sometimes when we think of loving ourselves well, for some of us, because we've seen and we've met people who love themselves a little too much. 
And because of that, we see some narcissism. We see a life of self-centeredness where they only care about themselves. And because we see that, we often think and we internalize that we should never love ourselves well. Well, in that version, I agree with you, but God really wants you to love yourself well. Often in the church, we're taught that we are not to love ourselves, that we are to deny ourselves. And I do believe we have to deny ourselves if we want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But God doesn't want you to let go of the truth that you have to love yourself well in order to deny yourself well. Otherwise, they can become destructive. And so how do we love ourselves well? How do we get to a place in our lives where we can love ourselves well, where we, we're not like the world because the world thinks to love yourself well, you need to sort of, sort of uh, overwhelm yourself with pleasure. Now, if you're pleasure-seeking, that is incredibly individualistic and only benefits you. Your job or your goal in life is not to seek pleasure. Another word for that is hedonism. You don't want to live your life with hedonism or have that hedonistic way of life. God wants you to live your life with joy, with true peace and hope. That's his goal, but we can't get there unless we're willing to love ourselves well. I'm convinced after being in ministry for over 20 years, meeting with a lot of different people from this church and also all over the, all over the world, that so much of our problems, the genesis of our problems often comes from our lack of loving ourselves well. And I, wanted to, and I would probably estimate that a lot of us here in this room you're not very good at this. In fact, you're pretty bad at it. And that's the reason why I think you're struggling so much in your life. And you put so much pressure on other people to love you because you're not able to love yourself well. And you actually put that pressure even on God. On sort of these expectations that even God is not able to meet. Because if you can't love yourself well, you never can really receive the love of God. And so I want to talk to you about how do we begin to live our lives where we can love ourselves well. And if I'm just going to be very honest with you, I was really bad at this for the first 35 years of my life. I just was not able to love myself well. I didn't know how to do that. You grew up sort of in a, in a hard home, growing up in a kind of a dysfunctional family. You don't really know this. And I just live for the approval of other people. That was sort of my goal, to win the applause of everyone. And so to get to that, so, so, so my goal even as a pastor when I started this church at 29 and 30 years old was really to do the best I can to win the applause of other people. That was my goal because I didn't know how to love myself well. It's only been the last 13 years where I've really tried hard. And that's what I want to share with you today. In these past 13 years, the things that I've learned over the past 13 years of how to love yourself well. And I hope that if you hear this, that uh, it would really speak to you today. Because the statistics are staggering. There's some research this week. The greatest disease that is pervading our world today is not COVID, it's loneliness. And Harvard did a study back in 2021. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that 36% of Americans are in the category of being seriously lonely. What does it mean to be seriously lonely? In the survey, it says that if you are seriously lonely, you actually are lonely 24-7. There's not a moment in your life where you don't feel lonely. What, what does it mean to feel lonely? It means that you don't believe there's anyone in this world that really cares about you. That's what it means to be lonely. And so 36% of Americans, now get this, if you are between the ages of 18 to 25, that number jumps to 61%. Almost unbelievable. 61% of people from the ages of 18 to 25, I know we got quite a bit of people in that age range, 
61% of Americans from that age range say that they're seriously lonely. And then you get this, 51% of moms, young moms with young, I mean, moms with young kids say that they are seriously, seriously lonely. As a result of it, there's such a high percentage of deep depression, anxiety disorders, and all different things that many people struggle with. Doctors say that it's actually better to smoke 15 cigarettes a day than to struggle with the disease of loneliness. Can you believe that? They say it's better to smoke 15 cigarettes a day. Please don't start smoking. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. But that's how deadly loneliness is. Because it makes you to believe that you're not worthy of love. And that's a terrible place to be. And you're afraid then to actually live your life in some level of intimacy. Loneliness has been linked to depression, anxiety, interpersonal hostility. You know what that's like when people just get really angry at you and, or you get angry at other people. Increased vulnerability to health problems like heart disease and even suicide. And a direct result of that is because of our lack of loving ourselves. Or another word to say that is self-care. We don't know how to care for ourselves. And if we can't care for ourselves, we cannot care for other people. I love, uh, David Hosein gives us great imagery. Like when you're in an airplane, I mean, you guys fly a lot. You watch those boring videos, right, before the flight takes off. What do they tell you that invented of emergency? They said you got to put your mask on before you put the mask on for your kids or for other people. you got to care for yourself first before you can care for other people. That's so true in our own lives that you're not going to be able to encounter love, really, if you're not willing to love yourself first. And so I want to talk about how can we begin to grow in love and how do we love ourselves well. That's what I want to talk to you about. So if you can just bow your heads for a moment, let's just pray and go to God. Oh God, there's so many people here that are struggling in life because they're just not loving themselves well. They're not caring for themselves. I just pray that you'd be with them. And God, I pray you'll help me just to kind of communicate this in a way that you would want me to so that you can be honored and glorified today. And so I pray that this would reach the hearts of those, particularly those today who feel so alone, who feel like there's nobody that really cares for them. I pray for those in this room, God, that are deathly afraid of intimacy because it was taken away from them at a young age. I pray you would deliver them and heal them today. God, be with our church. I know how much you love these people. And I pray that you would truly speak to them today of how they can love themselves well so they can love you and others as well. So I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray that it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your beautiful name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. All right, let's go to Matthew 22, to 30, uh, 22 verse 37. Pastor Sunita kind of unpacked this for you on week one when we launched this series. We're going to look through it again. An expert in the law went and try to trap Jesus, and he asked him, what's the greatest commandment? And here's what Jesus says, and all of you should know this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest commandment that Jesus says. When you obey this commandment, you fulfill all the commandments and all the laws. If you follow this one commandment. And so it's about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I love what Jesus says here. He says, and the second is just like it. Meaning he's saying the second is just as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. What we need to get at here today is this. If you cannot love yourself, you cannot love other people. 
You cannot love God well. And so taking care of yourself and loving yourself well isn't just so that you can experience pleasure. God, no. The reason why you are to love yourself well so that you can love God well and then you can love other people well. Amen? That's the goal. Your goal is to love yourself well so that you can begin to love God well and then you can love other people well. And whenever we struggle with both of those, both of those things, the reason why we struggle with it is really because we're just not able to love ourselves well. And so the goal then is for us to place our lives in such a way where we can begin to take this journey of loving ourselves well. How do we do that? How do we love ourselves well so that we can love God well and love other people well? Because no matter how much you want to receive, some of you are like, I want to receive God's love. I want to experience more and more and more of it. You really cannot experience more of God, no matter how much more you want of God, if you cannot love yourself well. You can't. All right, so how do we do it? How do we do it? First, I got two thoughts for you today, right? First, this is what's really helped me over the past 13 years. If you want to love yourself well, you have to accept your weaknesses. If you want to love yourself well, you got to learn to accept your weaknesses, whatever it might be. You all know we have weaknesses, all right? If you don't think you have weaknesses, wow, you're blind. We all have weaknesses. Just talk to somebody. They'll tell you plenty. You know you, there are weaknesses that you are definitely in the know about. Sometimes we can say these weaknesses lead us to sin for sure. But you have to accept your weaknesses, meaning you cannot overcompensate for those things so that it doesn't exist. You just have to accept it and say, I am a weak person. Here are the things I am incredibly weak about. Because look what happens when we can begin to accept our weaknesses. Look at what uh, Jesus tells Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Each time Jesus said, my grace is all you need, Paul. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So Paul is kind of like us many ways because when you read passages before, he goes to God and says, would you please take away this thorn on my side? Scholars believe that Paul had like a deep medical condition and he wanted to be healed from it. Paul could raise people from the dead. Paul can heal people like this. People go on, like people fall under the shadow of Paul and they're being healed, but Paul couldn't heal himself. And so he prayed to God and said, God, would you please heal me? This is a weakness of mine. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because Paul, in your weaknesses, my strength is perfected in you. And then when Paul realized that, he said, well, then you know what? I'm going to boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's strength can live in me. Why does God want you to accept your weaknesses? You ever think about that? Why does God really want you to accept your weaknesses? Here's the reason why. He wants you to extend mercy to yourself. If you can accept your weaknesses, people who accept their weaknesses, what they're really good at is giving themselves mercy. Meaning they're really good at this. They're good at forgiving themselves when they mess up. Because they know they're weak. They're quick to go to their spouse and say, I'm sorry for what I did. I messed up. They're quick to realize, you know what? Sometimes I don't measure up because I know as Christians, sometimes we get very legalistic. We feel like Christianity is like sin management. Uh, Christianity is about you like, you know, spending a certain amount of time with God. And, and I know that's all part of it. It really is. But sometimes when you don't do it, you feel really bad about yourself. Weak Christians are actually able to offer themselves mercy. 
You know what they're really good at? Why God wants you to accept mercy? Wants you to accept your weaknesses so that you can embrace mercy in your life? Because if you don't do that, you know what the other alternative is? You live your life in complete guilt. And if you live with guilt today, if you have guilt, if you feel, if you feel guilty about certain things of your life because you've messed up, I want you to know that guilt is not from God. Guilt comes from the throes of hell. And you're playing into Satan's hand. He doesn't want you to offer mercy to yourself. He doesn't want you to accept your weaknesses because God forbid if you do that, you might encounter the perfect strength of God. He wants to set you free. It's okay to admit that you have some messed up things about you. And what I love about this is that spirituality isn't neat. Do you know that spirituality is messy? It's never been neat. Spirituality is messy. If you think spirituality is supposed to be neat, then you don't really know what spirituality is. Because when I read the Bible and you look at these, these heroes of the faith, they lived incredibly messy lives. And yet God still loved them. Can I use a couple of examples? How about Abraham? Remember Abraham? If you read the story of Abraham, you know that Abraham is called the father of faith or the father of many. Right? Abraham did some amazing things, right? Yes, he did. God says, hey, you know what, Abraham? He finally had a child with Sarah, and, he, and God said to Abraham, hey, I want you to sacrifice Isaac as a, as a love offering for me. Abraham did it. And so you read stories like that, and you're like, wow, what a man of faith. Abraham might have loved his son, and he might have loved God to a certain degree, but Abraham was not a very good husband. Because if you read his story, what he did was that when God told him to leave his home, to go into a foreign land in which he was calling him to do, Abraham totally married up. That's a good thing, guys, if you married up. Abraham, like, he married way up. Like, way, way up. And he knew that if he went into these foreign lands and he met the rulers of those foreign lands, he believed without a shadow of a doubt, because he had so much fear, that if they found out that they were married, Abraham thought that he was going to get killed. They were going to murder him to get to Sarah. And so what did Abraham say to Sarah? He said, hey, Sarah, when we go to these places, can we just say we're siblings so they don't kill me? Sarah said, okay. The first time they go, what happens? Hey, she's my sister. Okay, the king takes her. And we don't know exactly what happened, but you can read between the lines. Sarah was raped. Abraham let that happen. He cared more about himself and his own well-being than his own wife. That didn't just happen once. It happened twice. Now, the second time, God got involved and God stopped it. And so the king wasn't able to do anything. See, Abraham, you would see as this man of faith, but I want you to know that, yes, he's a man of faith, but spirituality is messy. If you want to be truly spiritual, you got to embrace the mess. And you cannot do that unless you accept your weaknesses. You can't be proud of your weaknesses, but you got to accept it and say, you know what? I'm weak. I'm weak. What about David? Remember King David? He committed adultery on Bathsheba, but not only did he commit adultery, pretended he didn't do it, but then what did he do? He killed her husband, Uriah. And he tried to cover it all up. And then you see David in Psalms 51, how he just broke down and realized how, what, what he did wrong. It says in the Bible that David is a man after God's own heart. Hey, spirituality isn't neat. It's messy. And until you begin to realize that, you're never going to accept your weaknesses because your weaknesses are big enough for God to handle. The apostle Peter denied Jesus three times. He struggled a little bit with racism that Paul the apostle in Galatians had to confront him and said, what are you doing? Why are you leaving the dinner table when you were hanging out with the Gentiles whenever your Jewish friends come? What's wrong with you? 
Spirituality is messy, it's never neat. And so there's room for your weaknesses. You gotta accept it because when you do, you offer yourself, you extend to yourself grace and mercy so that God's strength could then be perfected in you. And if you don't do that, you're gonna constantly live your life in guilt. I'm telling you right now, if you are living in guilt today, that is not from God. That is because you are not willing to love yourself well because you're not embracing or accepting your weaknesses. So what do you have to do? Here's the two things that help me to accept my weaknesses. The first thing is I actually journal it. I process it with God. That helps me to accept it. I like to journal a lot. It really helps me to open up the, oftentimes the Pandora's box of unresolved emotions that I'm feeling. I hope when I die, nobody finds my journal, <laughs> including my wife. <laughs> I hope nobody finds my journal, all right? You guys might have questions if you read it. Right? So it's between me and God, so just burn it if you ever find it. Just burn it. It's between me and God, all right? But I journal my emotions. The other thing that I do is I just, I share it with people. Don't you think I'm pretty vocal about my weaknesses? You think, you think I'm like, I'm never proud of my weaknesses, but I've learned to accept it because I've encountered the power, the power of God's strength in my life through it. And so I also want to encourage you to do that. Accept your weaknesses. Don't embrace it because you're not supposed to love it, but accept it. It's a part of who you are. Accept that you really are afraid of intimacy. Maybe there's something deeper that God wants you to see, and that's why you cannot be intimate with your spouse today. Accept that the fact that maybe you struggle with intimacy today, and that's the reason why it's a weakness that you're really struggling to meet somebody that maybe you can have a relationship with because you're so afraid of intimacy because you're definitely afraid of what people might discover about you. I want you to know that you have an amazing ability to accept your weaknesses so that God's strength can be perfected in you. Paul says, well, then I'm going to boast all the more about my weaknesses. Paul says in Ephesians 4 that you and I are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. What do you think that means? Do you think a new creation means that we're supposed to live a life of no sin, a life devoid of sin? Absolutely not. The new creation that Paul is talking about is for you and I to live a life that actually when we do sin, we're a new creation. You know what's different about us? We can actually extend ourselves some mercy and grace and accept our weaknesses before the Lord and allow his strength to be perfected in us. So embrace your weaknesses and encounter the power of God's strength. We live in a, such a counterintuitive world where everyone embraces strength and not weaknesses. You gotta go the other way. You gotta accept your weaknesses. I started a podcast a few weeks ago called Weak Pastor. And thank you for those who've been listening. Um, I've been getting, uh, the reception has been really cool. Um, I'm expecting in the future, as you listen to some, we, we taped a few shows before, a couple episodes, you may not be so positive about it, but I'm, I'm really gonna do my best to sort of accept my weaknesses on this. The, the, the thought of this podcast is to look at Christianity through the lens of vulnerability. And what's been really great about this is that uh, I've been getting some emails from pastors. And uh, it's been really special because a lot of them have been sharing, you know, I never once ever thought or entertained the idea of ever being able to accept my weaknesses. I felt like we had to hide it. And in one of the episodes, the first one that I talked about, I feel like in some ways the pastors are to blame, but I think the church is to blame as well because you guys expect us to be too perfect. That's not right. We're just like you. We sin just like you. But the standard that you put for pastors, all of you, is unrealistic. And that's why 1,400 pastors every month are getting fired or quitting. 
because they don't feel like they match up and they're struggling because of that. So I don't want to just blame the church, but in some ways I think there is a blame for the church because we're weak. And so what I'm trying to do is create a a movement within Christians, especially pastors, that we're just going to accept our weaknesses because we're broken. Because Paul says, or Jesus told Paul, that if you can accept your weaknesses, God's strength is perfected in you. And so let's get to a place where you can admit it. Because when you can, then there can be a mercy that's extended to yourself. So then rather than just living in guilt all the time and kicking yourself in the head all the time, you can actually learn a few things about yourself and maybe start loving people the way God would like you to love them. That's the hope. So accept your weaknesses. Stop denying it. Accept it and stop trying to overcompensate for it. Because the only thing that happens when you overcompensate is you end up hurting the people you love the most. If you're married, and, you, and I, it always takes two to tangle. I 100% agree. I don't ever believe it if it's always one person responsible for the dysfunctional marriage. But if your spouse is struggling in the marriage today, it's because you're not willing to accept your weaknesses. And you're overcompensating for it because you would rather overcompensate for it than really get to the heart of why you're so unhappy and you're making your spouse so unhappy. It's really critical that you accept your weaknesses so you can let God's perfect strength be worked in you because when you offer yourself mercy, God's strength is perfected in you. Amen? Amen. Accept it. Accept. So this week, I need you to go and start sharing it with people. Try to do it the best you can, all right? So that's the first thing, accept your weaknesses. Second, we love ourselves well when we grow in self-awareness, okay? You love yourself well when you grow in self-awareness. So accept your weaknesses, but then you got to also grow in self-awareness because there are a lot of weaknesses that you have no idea about. You have no clue, and it's impossible for us to know. No matter how self-reflective you might be, there's no way for you to know everything. People who know you and have relationships with you know a whole lot of stuff about you that you don't even know. And you have to be willing to embrace that and see that as truth. If you can see those things that you might not be aware of, things that are like blind spots, if you can take them as truths, you know what Jesus says is going to happen to you? Look what he says in John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. If you remain faithful to my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. All truth is God's truth. Amen? All truth is God's truth. And when you learn truths about yourself that you never knew before, then guess what? You'll be set free. But you got to embrace it. You got to accept it as the truth. You can't fight it and pretend it doesn't exist or say, you know, that's not me. That's not me. You got to be open to it. And that's hard. I know it requires an incredible amount of courage. Listen, loving yourself well is not for the faint of hearts. Loving yourself well requires an incredible amount of courage. You know how hard it is to accept your weaknesses? And you know how hard it is to learn some things about yourself that you're completely unaware of? It requires an incredible amount of courage. And if you're young today, do it now. Because as you get older, you know how scary this is? As you get to be in your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you know how scary it is to try to become more self-aware? Especially if you've been successful in your careers. Because you use that as an excuse to say, I don't want to go back and I don't want to learn. I don't want to be self-aware because if I unhash some of these wounds in my life, I don't know what's going to happen to me. I spent my entire life shoving those things deep inside my soul so that no one could get to it, not even God. 
and you're terrified. We've had people leave our church because we've encouraged them to go and become more self-aware. And they just refuse to because they can't because they're so afraid of what might happen to them if they begin to take that journey. You're never going to be able to love yourself well if you don't grow in self-awareness, if you don't commit yourself to growing in self-awareness. Listen, God loves all of you, warts and all. But a lot of us, we don't know the warts to us. And the reason, for you to really know that God loves you, you have to also know the things that you're completely blind to. And there are some things I would even say that are hard, that maybe you've had to deal in life, that actually prevent you from accepting even like affirmation and compliments from people. Because you don't feel like you're worthy of love. You don't feel like you should receive that. Because when you look at the mirror, you don't see that person. It's sad. It really is. And it becomes this vicious cycle of darkness and loneliness that God will never want you to go and live in. The truth, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. All truth is God's truth. And we have to discover those things about us. And we have to just accept it and realize, you know what? I didn't know these things about me, but now I know. And the reason why maybe we're so obsessed with being successful at our jobs is really because you are struggling with shame. That you believe, no matter what, that there's a voice that, you, that always tells you you're a loser and you're a mistake. And because you believe that, in order to silence those voices, you have set out to be the most successful person out of your friends. And you're addicted to success because you're so deeply living in shame. The reason why maybe you get hurt so easily is because there are these wounds that you won't let anyone heal. And I don't know if you've ever had a wound. And if you, and if, like one time I had like a paper cut and my son almost touched the paper cut. He got a little close. I smacked his ass like, don't you even come near that wound, right? When you have an unhealed wound, anyone who comes near it, we naturally become very protective over it and we overreact. And maybe the reason why it's really hard for you to connect with people isn't the other people that have issues. Maybe it's because you don't want anyone to come and touch that wound that you keep licking every night before you go to bed. Maybe you just need to accept and learn and, and realize that it's actually you and uncover and ask that important question, what's beneath that? What is underneath these things? It's important for you to do that. Maybe the reason why you have to be so funny all the time, make people laugh, is because you're so afraid that people will know the real you and you don't want to be vulnerable. And as a result of it, you just stay quiet or you just try to make people laugh and you just use your humor to live a superficial life. Jesus came and he died for you. That means he died for all of you, warts and all. And he wants you to grow in self-awareness so that we can learn to love God well and love others well. And so how do we do that? How do we grow in self-awareness? Here are three quick things that have really helped me to grow in self-awareness. The first thing is this. Slow down your life for silence and solitude. Slow down your life for silence and solitude, all right? Let God reveal to you things that you are not aware of yourself. Silence and solitude is really important. And I, and I actually, worry, this is one of my biggest worries about my kids. My kids, I think, really struggle to be silent. Every time we get in the car, can you turn on the radio? Can you turn on the radio? And many times I have to say, hey, can we just be in silence? And it's like prison for them. They cannot. They need to listen to something. Listen, if you can't be silent, 
if you can't be in a place of quietness for a period of time, that's probably because there are a lot of demons inside of you that often surface in those silence. Henry Nouwen says, the reason why you need silence and solitude is because when you can actually do that, your demons come out. You begin to see them and you begin to learn a lot more about your dark side. It doesn't come out when you're busy, when you're hanging out and talking to people. It comes out when you have nothing to do and you're just before the Lord and it's just you and God. They come out. So can I encourage you to at least start with five minutes a day, silence and solitude. And if you can, maybe up that to two times, five minutes a day, and then get to a place like for me, I try to be silent 30 minutes a day every day. Try to be quiet so I can hear the voice of God. And then maybe one day a week, you can maybe up that to 25, 30 minutes if you can, and then slowly work your up to maybe an hour, two hours, maybe three hours. And then I want to encourage you to think about then, these are, again, these are, you don't have to do what I'm doing, but this is kind of how I see it. And, and then at least, you know, like in a rhythm, maybe once or twice a year, I try to do it every other month. Try to go away for 36 to 48 hours. I know I, know I get paid to do this. I have to have a connection with God. It's part of my job. Right? But you need to spend some time in silence. I know it's hard. In the beginning, it's going to be so hard. But when you keep doing it, God will begin to reveal things about yourself. You begin to learn, become more aware. And the things he'll speak to you about will be real precious. I want to encourage you to that. And then the other thing that's really helped me is you got to observe a Sabbath the best you can. Meaning, take one day off where you don't focus on work or anything like that. Where you can rest and just delight in God. I had to... Not scold, but I had to be a little firm with my staff this week because I caught a lot of them working on their Sabbath. I just said, guys, you can't. You can't do this. You can't because when you don't observe a Sabbath, you're committing a sin. So I encourage you to embrace silence and solitude. That's the first thing. Second, commit yourself to deep relationships. Commit yourself to deep relationships, all right? Let some people speak some truth into your life. Ephesians 4.25, I love this, all right? You guys should memorize this. Here's what Paul is telling the church. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. For some of us, we can't be truthful because we long for the approval of other people, so much so that we always have to affirm them. Even when they do something wrong, we got to affirm the wrong before we kind of share a little bit about the wrong. Have relationships where people can be honest and truthful to you. Now, you know I call these soulmates, and I I am not naive to believe that one day our entire church is going to have soulmates. I know you hear this from me many times, and I'm probably going to, it's a real expectation that a lot of you are choosing not to. And listen, that's on you. It's not on me. If you choose to have a lesser than kind of a life, that's on you. It's not on me, but I hope you do. I hope you can find somebody of the same sex where you can devote your life and say, you know what? I'm going to bear my soul to this person, and this person is going to bear their soul to me. But the reality is the majority of you are not going to even do that, right? Because that level of intimacy is something that really makes you afraid. But at the very least, can you devote yourself to having some deep relationships? And the deep relationship is simply this. Have some people who know you share some areas where you can grow in your life. Just give them that permission to do it. So if you're married and you haven't, you know, your spouse has the goods on you. Could you just ask them and say, hey, give me three things that, I need, that you think I can grow in and work on. Or maybe three areas that I might be blind to. You got to do that this week. And when they share it. Don't disagree. 
don't eloquently put together, you know, sort of this argument of why, this rhetoric of why they're wrong. Sit with it, as angry as you might be, and bring it to the Lord in silence and solitude. If you're not married, then go to some friends, close friends of yours, and just say, hey, could you just please share with me? You've seen us. We've been friends for a long time. I'm sure there are things you see that I might need to grow in. Can you share three things with me this week of areas where I can grow? I hope you can do that, all right? At the very least, if you're not doing that, then you're not going to ever get to a place where you can really love yourself because you're not going to grow in self-awareness. Relationships allows us to really learn more about ourselves. Our individuality is often created as we are in relationships with other people. That's how we get to know ourselves more as we are in relationships with other people. I hope you have fun doing that, but that's really important. You gotta get to know yourself well by having some deep relationships with some people, asking for some feedback. You can do it. You can do it. If you're married, you can do it. You can do it today. I do some premarital counseling sometimes, and one of the things I always have the couples do, I say, okay, listen, I need you to come up with three things you think your fiance needs to work on, but do not share it with them. You share it for the first time when we come and meet together. They're like, are you sure we can't share it with each other? Come up with a list? No, 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 don't, because you guys might get into a real big fight. I say, come up with the list, three things, and then let's sit together, and then you share it for the very first time. And I kind of want to help them to do this in a way that builds them up rather than making them feel like they're broken down. You need to have some people to share some truths about you. That's a deep relationship. That may not, you may not have a soulmate relationship, but you certainly need to live a life where you have some relationships where people stop lying to you and they're actually able to tell you the truth. That's key. Why? Because the truth will set you free. The very last thing is this. To grow in self-awareness is invest in professional counseling. Invest in professional counseling. You know, the devil has done such an amazing, spectacular job of convincing you that you only need to go see a counselor if you're struggling in life. Man, that's a load of BS, man. You don't need a counselor just because you're struggling. You should just go to a counselor to learn more things and to be more self-aware about yourself. Even if your life is going good, you should still go and connect with a counselor so they can kind of help you to see some things. Because no matter how good your life is, there's always emotional hang-ups that we struggle with. The word soul in the Greek is the word psyche, which you and I get the word psychology. And my friend, my mentor says this, he says, Peter, when we go to a counselor, it's like going to an emotional spa. I love spas. I love going to spas, right? And it was such a great image for me. And it dispelled all the negative connotations that I believed growing up thinking what counseling is. And it's changed my life. I want to encourage you to invest. Now, I use that word carefully, invest. Counseling is not an expense. It's an investment in your soul. Why? Because if you can grow in self-awareness, you can love God better and you can love others better. So it's an investment. It's money that you get back so much more because it helps you with your life and you won't be lonely anymore. Invest in a counselor. The more and more you deny yourself the ability to feel certain emotions, the less and less human you become. And for a lot of you, you don't have the proper faculties to deal with some of these emotions that you might be feeling. You don't even know what these might be, and you need somebody to help you to process it. It's going to help you to grow. 
All right. I want to highly encourage you to go to emetro.org slash counseling. We have a whole list of counselors that we recommend that have specific focuses on specific areas of life. I want to encourage you to make sure you go to emetro.org slash counseling today and look through it and make your first appointment. I hope you can devote yourself to learning and growing in self-awareness. So a few months ago, I shared with some of you that uh, I went to my elder board and I asked them for some feedback. I asked them to, you know, kind of help me to see certain things that maybe I'm not aware of or maybe ask questions that maybe they've always wanted to ask me, but they were kind of afraid to ask. And so I kind of let them do that. And it was just wonderful. The feedback that I got was, I, it was good later. I don't want to say it was good from the get-go, but it was, it was hard to read it in the beginning. Uh, one of the elders, she's a counselor, and she didn't even write it in the email because I met with her before, and I asked her over lunch, and she's known me for a very long time. And I said to her, I said, you know, what do you think are some areas you think I need to grow in? And, she, you know, she didn't even think twice. She said, Peter, I think you might have ADHD. And I remember, like, for me, you know, like I said, you got to let it sit. Internally, I was so offended by that. I said, how dare you say I have ADHD? I think you have ADHD, okay? <laughs> so not, do not tell me that I have ADHD. But she said, I think you do, and I think you need to go get tested and not meet with a counselor, but you need to meet with a psychiatrist, an MD. And so I sat with that, and I got my car, and I left the restaurant, and, man, I was fuming. I was fuming, but then I started thinking about it. I said, man, it might explain a lot of things about me. <laughs> because Jenny, even till this day, she's still like, she'll talk to me, and I'm like wandering, my mind is somewhere else, and she's like, hey, look at me in the eye when I'm talking to you. And then I'm fighting with her, I'm like, I'm not six years old, I'm not your kid, stop telling me to look at you in the eye. It explain a lot of things about me. So I took her advice. I found a psychiatrist who has extensive experience with ADHD. And um, I talked to her and she said, well, to take the test costs $8,000. And I said, no, 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 no. I will not spend $8,000. I know that could be an investment, but I just don't have that money to invest right now. So I said, no. But this person has worked extensively with people, patients who have ADHD, so she's an expert. And so she started sharing with me symptoms of ADHD, and I started sharing with her my own life and areas that I find to be really struggling, a struggle at times. And, the, and there are some symptoms that she actually shared with me that people have with ADHD. One of the symptoms is this. People with ADHD, uh, they don't like to, they, don't, they start projects, but they don't finish projects, right? And so I just said, well, that's totally the opposite of who I am. And so I went into this long discussion of like, well, that's definitely not me. So what I was doing in this session, I was trying to convince this woman that I don't have ADHD. <laughs> that was my goal. And I'm pretty good with my words. And so I was speaking to her about certain things. She said some other stuff. I was like, oh, well, that's not me. I don't, I don't get road rage while I'm cursing people off. I was like, no, no, that's not me. You know, I started talking. And then at the end, after I share my story and I said to her, I said, well, listen, doc, can I just ask you just for your professional, honest opinion? Do you think I have ADHD? And I was hoping she would say, well, she said yes. I was like, oh, man. I was like, okay. She said, you know, Peter, I don't know if you need medication just yet. But she says, you definitely have it. And uh, she said, the goal, though, is that you've learned to be quite effective even with it. So you've learned some things of how to deal with it. But she said, your challenge now is you've got to grow. 
you gotta learn how to grow from this ADHD that you have. And if you don't know what ADHD means, it's attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And she said, listen, if you can grow from this, and she gave me this great book, it's called Driven by Distraction, fantastic. New York Times bestseller. The author is a psychiatrist who has ADHD. So that's why I love reading. I love reading when people struggle with it as well, and it's been really great. She said, if you can grow from this ADHD, you know what ADHD can be when you grow from it? She said, it's a superpower. Because some of the most creative, some of the most successful people are the ones who have ADHD, because they've learned how to deal with it. And so I've committed myself to learning. A couple weeks ago, I was in California with my friend, and we went camping, and uh, you know, he has a trailer. We went up to like 40 minutes north of Santa Barbara, and we spent a few days together, and he has ADHD. He spent $8,000 for the test. He got tested, and, um, and we were just sharing deeply about it. And this is one of my soulmates, and he just said, Peter, you know, uh, I know your, your psychiatrist said that you, may, you probably don't need medication, but he said, I want to recommend that you try because he says it really helps. You don't have to do it all the time. But he says, if you know that you're going to have a day where it's going to really require you to focus in, he's like, just take it. It really helps. And uh, he said, you should probably call your psychiatrist and have them write your prescription. And I kind of wanted to ask him, I said, well, can you give me a few pills? Let me try it first. And if it really works, then I'll ask for the script. Right? But I knew that would be kind of, that would be weird. It would be off, right? So I, I didn't want to say that, but I want to take a few pills, put my pocket, and just give it a shot. But he says, Peter, when I know I have a day, because he's a cop, he says, when I have a day where I have to really focus, and I know it's going to be long, a lot of meetings, he goes, I take it, and it's like the fog is cleared. I said, all right. I'm going to go talk to my psychiatrist and see if she can write me a script on it. I'm just going to have to tell you that there are times in my life where I actually feel like, you know what, I don't know how much more I need to grow. You know what the good news is about all of this? God's never done with me. He wants to keep reminding me that he will never be done with me in terms of growing. He has opened up a whole other world that I never knew existed. A world of ADHD that I never knew existed. God is not done with me. And if I allow to have people surround, if I can surround myself with some people and they can speak some truth into me, helping to see things about myself that I don't know, there is a way for me to keep growing to the day I die. That's how much God loves all of you. He's not done with you. Some of you feel like he's done. You haven't felt a growth in a long time. Probably the reason why is because you're not loving yourself well. You got to surround yourself with some people to help you to understand some things that you're not even aware of to grow, to open up a whole nother world so you can begin to grow and so that in the end of the day, you can learn to love God well and love other people well because that's the goal of life. Because when you do that, you truly have understood and lived under the secret of what life is really about. And so today, will you accept your weaknesses? And will you commit yourself to growing in self-awareness? Because if you don't do those two things, you're never going to grow. You're never going to know what it means to love yourself enough where you can learn to love God better and love other people better. And my hope today is that you really will begin to love yourself well. Love me, love me not. My hope is that you would choose to love yourself. Let's pray. So I want to give you just an opportunity right now to really commit yourself to this. To commit yourself to growing, growing in self-awareness and also accepting your weaknesses. That means that you might have to do some sharing this week. 
which I hope you can. But you're doing this so that you can grow in greater love for yourself. So let's go to God. You need to make that commitment. Could you pray for courage? Because it's going to require quite a bit of courage. And some of you actually have people that you can do this stuff with. Have you ever asked yourself, why are you not doing it? What are you so afraid of that's preventing you from sharing and accepting your weaknesses? And even asking somebody, can you help me to grow in self-awareness? Go to God just for a few minutes and then I'll pray for us. Let's go to him. I said this in the first service, as I was praying, I just really felt this strongly, and I feel it again here in the second service. Some of you really downplay your birthdays. You just say, hey, it's just another day. Age is just the number. And you do that because there, there might be a fear that you carry that maybe nobody really wants to celebrate your birthday because your life isn't that important. And I want to encourage you, if you have a birthday coming up, or this year, and I'm sorry if your birthday's passed already, but I think we got it early enough in February. I want you to celebrate your birthday. I want you to invite people. I want you to even throw a party for yourself because it shows that you actually love yourself well and that you're worthy of celebrating because God created you on that day. Don't downplay your birthdays anymore. I pray that you would play it up and even let other people celebrate your life on the day in which God brought you into this world. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for those who are struggling today because some people just feel so un unlovable. They feel like they're not worthy of love because of some of the tragic things that they've had to go through. And God, I pray that they'd be able to not only accept what they went through, but God, they would be able to accept what those wounds have caused them in their life, the casualties that they've had to endure because of those wounds. And God, help them to grow in that, but also accept it by sharing it. And God, I pray that you'd bring healing in their lives, that they no longer will use their wounds to hurt themselves and hurt other people. And so I pray if there's anyone here, God, you know who they are. If it's speaking to them, God, I pray, God, that you would just be with them and they would really take seriously this path to healing because, God, you died for them, the totality of who they are, even the bad stuff, warts and all. And so, God, I pray that you'll just watch over them, watch over us as a community. Help us to love ourselves well so, God, that we can love you and our neighbor as ourselves. So I just pray you'll be with our church and our community. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.